Last week, like many of you, I worshiped at home online. My wife and I participated in the 11 o'clock service, and then, as you may recall, it was a gorgeous day, so we decided to walk to the Chipotle near our house, get carry out, sit outside and have a picnic of sorts. And when we got back home, we decided it's still just too beautiful to be inside. So we sat on the patio with our laptop and toured the world. Needs a little explanation. Leslie Holt had earlier in the week sent out an email about the New York Times list of 52 places to visit virtually. And it was amazing. They had originally put together this list of 52 places to go this year, but then the pandemic hit and they constructed another site. You could go to these 52 places virtually. And it's like you would expect. The photography is stunning. There are links to different activities. And so we just kind of scrolled through and went to different places. Our, our first stop was the British Virgin Islands because it was the first beach to appear. And we were supposed to be on a real beach right now on vacation. So we went to the British Virgin Isles and we even clicked on going sailing and sailed around for a little bit because we love to sail. Our second stop was Kimberley region of Australia where nature is absolutely huge and humans looked so small. And that's a good thing to do when you travel, to be reminded that we have a place in creation and it's not always the biggest, the humans. We didn't click on Caesarea in the northern part of Israel, but it brought a smile to our face because that is always the first stop when we do tours of the Holy Land. But I think the one that sticks with me the most a week later is Sicily in Italy. It was beautiful, of course, but they had this link to footage of an active volcano, complete with sound. I mean, who knew that volcanoes make sound? Well, of course they do, but all you ever see is just footage. And, and here somehow they had recorded the sound and the power of that volcano was just overwhelming. Now about this moment, I should tell you, this is not a public service announcement for those who are bored at home while sheltering in place. It's actually great preparation for reading the book of Acts. Acts is all about geography. It's a key to how to read it. Luke writes his Gospel, Volume 1, and Acts, Volume 2, the sequel, and in both, geography plays an important role. In the Gospel, Jesus grows up in Nazareth, in the northern part of Israel, not really that far from Caesarea, but about, well, a little bit shy of halfway, he sets his face to go to Jerusalem, and Jerusalem will become the destination and the kind of focal point of the gospel as he gets there. And of course, that's where he'll be crucified and that's where he'll be raised from the dead. That's volume one. In volume two, where we read, Luke says they were to stay in Jerusalem until the spirit comes because then they would be sent out from Jerusalem to Judea, to Samaria. And then he says to the ends of the earth. That's the phrase he uses, the ends of the earth which is quite the contrast with the disciples who ask, is this the end of the world? 
They remind me of all those AM radio preachers who are always going on about the end of the world and the book of Revelation. They nowadays are speculating that this virus somehow is another sign of the end times. But Luke's not interested in the end of the world or the next life. Luke is interested in this life and the gospel being taken to the ends of the earth. That's a different agenda altogether. In fact, if I had to summarize the book of Acts in one sentence, it would be something like this. The church will be called to be witnesses in the power of the Spirit all the way to the ends of the earth. And there are three parts of that that really need explanation. The first one is witness. A witness in Acts, and really for all of the New Testament, is not somebody who stands on a street corner screaming how you will burn in hell if you don't accept Jesus. Nothing like that. In fact, you should think more of a courtroom than someone who gives testimony. A witness is someone who says, this, this is what I've seen. This is what I came across and I want to tell you about. I want to testify about what I have seen. In some ways, a witness in Acts is like prophets in the Old Testament who say, let me show you what God has shown me. As for where these witnesses will go, well, they'll go in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, it helps to remember that the word spirit in Greek can also be translated wind. Except in Acts, this is no gentle breeze. This is power. Powerful wind. When I was on sabbatical some years ago at uh, teaching at Emory University in Atlanta, one of the things that caught my attention, and it became a kind of part of the routine of every night when I called home just to see what was going on and to talk about what was going on there in Atlanta, the wind report became part of the ceremony. And actually, it's because I noticed after a few weeks, the wind hardly ever blows there. At least while I was there, it hardly ever blew. In fact, one day I was listening to the radio and the weatherman said, winds today are out of the north at one. <laughs> he actually said at one. That's not a wind. Somebody must have dropped something. That's not a wind. Instead, think Chicago or think Kansas City. This last week we had winds of 70 to 80 miles an hour. That is the spirit in the book of Acts. It is this powerful wind, or think that volcano in Sicily. And this wind, this power, is going to take these witnesses to the ends of the earth. Now that, that phrase has two meanings in Acts. One, yes, it means to the far reaches, a long ways out but it also implies something about the people who are there as if they are on the edge or on the margins, as if they somehow don't count. Here's how I would explain this, the shock of what Luke is saying. In seminary, we try so hard to get students to understand the Jewishness of Jesus and the, Old, and the New Testament. Not just the Old Testament, the New Testament. This is really hard for some people. 
they've kind of grown up with, yeah, he's a Jew, but he must be a different kind. He's a kind of prototype Christian. They, they have him as this separate category that he's come to establish Christianity. But Luke, in his gospel, in the first volume, goes out of his way to say, no, 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 Jesus is a good Jew. He keeps the Sabbath. He goes to the synagogue. He reads the scriptures, which would be, of course, the Old Testament. So about the time you get it into your head that, oh, this is Jewishness, Jewishness, Jewishness. Then Luke says, well, then let me tell you about my second volume, and that is the Gentiles are included. What? what? I mean, this, this is really the shock. And, and the way he does it is with geography. In the, in the gospel, everything is going to happen in Israel. I mean, for the most part, there are exceptions. But the cities are places like Jerusalem and Jericho and Nazareth. It's in the Galilee. It's in Judea. It's Jewish. But in Acts, Luke gets out those little pens and he puts them in different places on the map. And now the cities are in places like Syria and Greece and Turkey and Spain. In a real sense, Acts is the national geographic of the Bible. It's exotic. When I was a kid in junior high, I went for the summer to stay with my grandparents in Michigan. To go from Texas to Michigan, you know, from one border to the other, it was like going to the other side of the world. But my granddad had every issue of National Geographic for years back. And to flip through, the, through those as a, as a junior high kid was to be taken around the world. And that's what Luke does in Acts, five times the Spirit will be poured out in Acts. And in every case, it's not about the end of the world. It's not about goosebumps and some personal experience. In every case, the Spirit is poured out to widen the circle. It's inclusion. The Gentiles as well as the Jews. So, so in the spirit of that, New York Times virtual tour, I thought I would take us just a couple of places. Starting with, I think Luke would call these the ends of the earth, Belgium and the Congo. The two are connected in a way you might not guess. There was a book written, I don't know, 20 years ago or so, King Leopold's Ghost. It's a kind of really haunting tale, not because of that word ghost. Leopold in Belgium, laid claim to the Congo in Africa as if he were playing a game of Monopoly. You know the story of how much colonization happened in Africa. Well, this was about the time in the late 1800s, early 1900s, when rubber was becoming a valuable commodity and it would soon become everything for all these tires for cars. Well, he wanted the rubber. And he was viewed by the world as this great philanthropist. But his grip on the Congo was so cruel. His soldiers would go into villages, kidnap the leading men of the village, and insist that they would be kept hostage until they could trade for quotas of rubber. And he gave them, of course, ammunition, because if the village refused. They would just shoot everyone in sight so that the next village would get the signal. They would get the message. 
Well, the ammo was so rare and valuable that he insisted for every shot they took, they would have to have proof that they had killed someone. And so they were to cut off the right hand of every victim. And they would smoke them on fire to preserve them and to present them to their captain or whoever. And we know this story because William Shepard, an African-American, the first missionary to the Congo, bore witness. He came across a pile of 81 hands being smoked, and he told the world he was a witness to the injustice. Now, I realize not many of us will travel to places like that. We will not bear witness to atrocities like that. At least, I hope not. So let me take you to some place just a little bit closer to home. Daytona Beach, Florida, which sounds lovely about now, but I want to take you there in the middle of the 20th century in a segregated Daytona Beach. It was the birthplace of Howard Thurman, African-American statesman, preacher, theologian, and civil rights activist. But he grew up in a very segregated Daytona Beach, and he tells the story about taking his little girls one day for a walk, and they saw on the school playground, a, a school nearby, and there was a playground, you know, swings and stuff. And they said, well, can we go over there? And he said, no, you, you can't go over there. And they asked why, and he said, when we get home, we'll have some lemonade, and I'll tell you why. So when they got home, they had lemonade, and they remembered, and they said, so why couldn't we? And he said, let me tell you why. It's against the law. And then he said, do you know what that means? It means it takes all of the policemen and all of the judges and all of the politicians to keep you girls from playing there. Isn't that a brilliant way of presenting what was going on? That's what a witness does is say, no, no, let me show you from God's perspective what is unfolding here, not from the privileged position of power. And we could go on. I mean, there must be hundreds, maybe thousands of places where God's spirit is blowing witnesses to go and to speak truth to power. So many of them, so many that Luke had to write two volumes. He's the only one that does that. He writes the first volume. He says, here's what Jesus did. He writes the second volume. And here is what his followers continued in the power of the Spirit. I suppose in some ways you could say, we're in volume three now. It's what we're living. It's what we're writing as the church. And, I mean, who knows where the Spirit will take us. Where will we go next so that all might be included? 